Buddhist Geeks Discover the Emerging Face of Buddhism. Episode 215 Emergent Buddhism. We're joined this week by Buddhist teacher and scholar Hokai Sobel to explore the vast yet crucial topic of emergent Buddhism. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or monthly recurring donation by visiting BuddhistGeeks.com forward slash donate. This is Vincent Horn, and I'm joined today by a special guest here in Los Angeles. He's here in my home studio visiting from Croatia for a week or so, Hokai Sobel. Hello. It's great to have him here. It's great to have him here in person. I don't get to see him that often, so it's always a special treat. And uh, we've been talking some geeky dharma the last couple days, sort of getting prepared for this conversation, which is basically a conversation we wanted to have in preparation for a panel that Hokai is going to be leading or chairing at the upcoming Buddhist Geeks conference in July. And the conference is on this very broad topic of emergent Buddhism. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, it's the kind of core topic of the whole conference, really. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the heart of it. And I wanted to sort of ask him a couple big questions around the topic of emergent Buddhism, not to try to get to any sort of clear answers on this thing, but just to open up the questions, really. The first question being, why is this topic of emergent Buddhism important? Why are we exploring this as opposed to traditional Buddhism or some other topic? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me here first. It's great being in LA. And the subject is, as you say, extremely open and wide. And yet, in a way, it's also very significant for this point in uh, Buddhism's uh, transmission to the West, and that we discuss the forms that have been developing ever since Buddhism began its transmission, and that are being developed or are taken form as we basically as we speak. The question of emergent. I don't want to spoil the the panel discussion, or I even can't speak for the for the participants who will surely approach this this topic each from their own respective uh, vantage point and experience. However, in very general terms, the quality of emergence is to some degree inherent to Buddha Dharma. We must bear in mind that every single form that these days we call traditional, at a certain point in history, that form was emergent. Even the Buddha himself is very much a revolutionary of sorts, having introduced several uh, methods of meditation that were quite new and strikingly fresh for that time. We may now speak of a time-tested tradition, right? After two and a half thousand years of experimentation, and we, we speak of a well-trodden path. We speak of tested and confirmed methods. But 
At the initial time, these were very, very new ideas, like an idea that a human being can rely on on his or her own effort to develop one's own awareness, to go through a series of transformative experiences and then stabilizations, and eventually reach a state of pervading wakefulness. That itself was very much new at the time of the Buddha. It's not that the Buddha was the only one saying something like that, of course, but he had his own special way of handling this issue, right? That later became known as the Buddhism. Okay, so the Buddha's approach was emergent. Then, as we know later, Buddhism continued to bring uh, new, fresh, not just practices, but also theories, some of which are speculative, some of which are perhaps imagination-based, metaphorical, some of which are more properly understood in the context of a traditional worldview, and some of which are rational, investigative, analytical. These uh, various approaches tend to be developed into specific historical schools of Buddhism. And these schools emerged in several big waves of innovation and later institutionalization. From these institutionalized form, there emerged lineages, authentications, systems of practice, systems of study, etc., etc. So, through centuries, all these became tradition. All these became established, and to a certain degree, they even ossify. They become rigid in their own way. And meeting a new culture, these rigidities tend to become very evident. In the context of a culture where, where a system is established and developed, the structure itself becomes invisible. So that, for example, you know, the structure of Zen Japanese approach tends to be invisible to a Zen Japanese native or a Japanese native that grows up in that kind of culture. Just as, uh, certain uh, Western Judeo-Christian values and orientations may be virtually invisible to someone who grows up in the West, informed by those fundamental values. You know. So what's interesting to see through the history of Buddhism, that each time Buddhism moved across space and across time, it encountered new sets of conditions, new cultural situations and it adapted fairly quickly and fairly promptly just then to give rise to some new stabilized form that later then became known as Tibetan Buddhism, that Chinese Buddhism, Japanese Buddhism, Burmese tradition, Korean, etc. etc. So what we're basically seeing through the history is a series of emergent properties arising somewhere, being experimented with, some of which basically prove unsuccessful, so we don't hear about them these days, and some of which prove so successful that they become permanent features of a certain type of Buddhism developed within a certain culture, and then now we speak of a certain type of tradition. But we are living now at a time when a new form of tradition is perhaps being generated and it's not just 
emergent in the context of Western culture, hence we speak of Western Buddhism, but is emerging in the context of a global culture. This is a simultaneous process of emergence and adaptation that is without precedence in terms of its complexity. Because from one perspective, we have all the traditional historical forms of Buddhism meeting and converging in this cultural melting pot, not just of American culture, but of American and European culture. But on the other hand, this is not happening just in the West, because we have Tibetan teachers visiting Japan, we have Japanese teachers visiting Taiwan, we have all these teachers traveling around the world, not just from East to West or West to East, but within East itself, namely across Asia, certain connections are being established that have been, you know, absent for centuries, meaning certain types of Buddhism are meeting each other that had no historical connection whatsoever. For example, Tibetan Buddhism and Japanese Zen, right? So you have a Dalai Lama visiting Japan and, you know, meeting with Zen Buddhists, which is a good thing to see. But specifically in the West, these traditions have entered a process of cross-pollination. There is life shoulder to shoulder, in our big cities, in Europe and America, whether it's Western teachers or native Asian teachers living in the West, it's very difficult and artificial to basically pretend no one else is there because there's a situation of dialogue and a situation of implicit collaboration, perhaps not explicit, but definitely Different styles of Buddhism are existing within a, within a single matrix of meaning and inquiry. We have already seen that these different types of Buddhism are basically informing each other. And that the, this emergent quality is something that may not be limited to single traditions. There is something that can indeed be called an emerging Western synthetic sort of awareness. The thing to make the, the whole situation even more complex is that this meeting of different strands of Buddhism is taking place simultaneously to Buddhism's meeting with other spiritual traditions in the marketplace, so to speak. And not just spiritual traditions, there are these other secular traditions as well, like skepticism and rationalism, you know, philosophical practices. And there's the general humanistic background of the Western culture informing this complex and simultaneous meeting of traditions. So, not to go any further, I believe this kind of, you know, generally makes clear the importance and the complexity and the basically... Uh, dynamism of the whole situation and why it's important that perhaps even though the subject may be extremely broad and in a certain sense not specific enough it's good that we start the first conference in this way before we actually maybe devote some future conferences to specific subjects more narrow more practical cool that's a great background and a great historical mm -hmm. overview of buddhism and then you know, another question that seems relevant is a question about questions. Mm -hmm. What are some 
do you think of the most important questions that we can be asking or that, that we might be looking at, for instance, in the panel itself around, like you said, this incredibly broad but very important topic? Mm-hmm. Well, the announced participants of the panel, I believe uh, our friends out there are already aware of that, are Shinzen Young, Diane Musha Hamilton, and Patrick Sweeney. But even if it was anyone other, we would basically have to ask them several questions that sort of ask themselves. One first basic question is, as teachers with intense experience in the field, with people and who contact other teachers, what is the sense of emergence that they themselves have seen happening? So meaning, what kind of developments, what kind of attempts, what kind of specific forms have they seen taking place, and what is their opinion at this point? Are these new forms getting any traction? Or are we still when, as the saying goes, when the going gets tough, are we still reliant on the traditional approach? Whether it's in practice, in theory, or in uh, human relationships, meaning in the actual situation of teaching, studying, meaning the student-teacher relationship, and in the way we, we organize our communities also, which is very important, are we still generally falling back to the traditional recipe or are we developing effective new ways that basically bring Buddhism in the 21st century? So that would be like the first question just to explore with them how they would, you know, testify to what is happening, right? Then the second question, very importantly, would be what are they as teachers themselves trying to do, trying to innovate or improvise or use an old tool in a new way? Because that's what often happens with emergence. It's not that we're basically rediscovering, you know, the wheel or reinventing, you know, hot water or anything. We are basically using time-tested techniques, time-tested approaches to inquiry and to meditation and to mindful living. However, we find new ways of using these tools with sometimes unexpected results. For example, bringing serious meditation into a lay situation, it's not unheard of in Asia, but here in the West, it's happening in a different way, definitely. The typical lay person uh, practicing meditation in the West has a different mindset than a typical lay person practicing Buddhist meditation somewhere in the East. It's not a better mindset, necessarily, but it's not necessarily a weaker mindset, either. It's just different. It's more post-traditional, the values are more diversified. The questions are more individual, more psychological often. There is more emphasis on uh, personal growth and perhaps less on personal transcendence, right? These things are important. And so these teachers have their, each of them, their, probably their own way of 
basically working with such an audience, working with such students, working with such a culture, as we know, they have done so fairly well, right? And then the third question is, as we see these first two questions, where we come from, you know, where we are, the next question would be where we are going. How do they see the coming decades of Buddhism's self-investigation and self-redefining, redesigning its, the tradition from within? When we speak of tradition in Buddhism, we need to understand that it's not only about the conservative element. Of course, there's a need to preserve continuity. There's a need to maintain a sense of orthodoxy to some degree, a sense of authenticity and legitimacy, right? However, that can only be done through constant inspiration, innovation, experimentation. Perhaps there's a tension between uh, the conservative impulse and the so-called progressive impulse, but these two basically feed into each other in a best situation. In a best situation, you know, uh, we would always have someone uh, pushing ahead and someone uh, keeping the goods in the background, right? It's a collective task, and it's not expected that everyone does everything. There are those who will be more concerned with experimentation, with perhaps even risky forms of practice and, and speculation and community building. There will those who will be more conservative-minded, and then there will be those who will uh, try to make sense of the whole richness of diversity, right? And somehow try to put it all together and to uh, not see every difference as a basis for conflict or parting ways. So the third question would be basically about the future. Not to define it, you know, not to predict it in any way, but just to basically open questions. What is possible in the future? What is our, What are our challenges? Is there a place for technology in the future that we're not aware of at this time? Is there a potential for uh, some uh, further developments in the ways practices are used? Is there a need for institutional reform and, you know, political reform from within Buddhism, as some people think? So these would be the questions. And of course, finally, you know, last but not least, we will continue to have input from uh, participants of the conference, meaning uh, the audience, you know. People are already sending in some questions. Even today we received some questions. And people will have questions on the conference itself. And we will try to address what we perceive is the prevailing question among the Buddhists themselves who are there, the geeks, people who will not be on the stage, but the panel discussion will try to reflect their interest as well. So that's hard to predict, right? Totally. Yeah. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, 
idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Stancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.